We're so excited that you're here this morning. We, you might notice something a little bit different by uh, looking up here at the front of the, uh, of the stage. And so at the end of the service today, we are going to do some baptisms. And I have three that are confirmed. And there might be some more here in the crowd by the end of today. You'll say, you know what? I just need to follow and be obedient and get baptized. And so you think, well, I didn't bring any clothes. Ha, we got you covered. We have some extra shorts, extra t-shirts, and extra towels in the back. And so I've taken away most of your excuses for saying, I don't know that I could do that today. But we want to encourage you to follow and be a part of that. So we're in the second week of seven weeks of talking about the seven commands of Christ. So, so last week we, we dug into just the first and the most important is to repent and believe. And once we repent and believe and we turn and we start following Jesus, then these other things that God's going to ask us to do. And don't get, don't get afraid of that, the fact that God's going to ask you to do things because he asks you to do them because he loves you. He loves you and he wants to see you be free. He wants you to freely worship him. He wants you to be excited about not only your life right here, right now, but your life in eternity. And he does it because he loves us. So we're going to jump into to those. But before we get any, get any further, uh, last week I got this funny um, text message from one of the ladies that was here at church. And so last week we were blessed because Landon, who is the young man that we've been praying for and just praying that God would heal him, he was here for the first time so he'd been diagnosed with leukemia. So it was incredible that he was here. And so he's sitting on his grandma's lap. So I just want you to get this picture. Sitting on his grandma's lap, he's, he's coloring and so I was just talking about the significance of the number seven and giving all these different examples of the number seven. And so I mentioned the seven deadly sins. And the last one was the deadly sin of sloth. And the definition of that, most of us would know, is, is being lazy. It's an aversion to work uh, or exertion. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I might be a sloth. Because <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. So I, I joked with myself thinking the Greek word for sloth is lazy, okay? And so Landon, without skipping a beat, he's sitting there. His, his grandma, he calls her Mimi. She said, sloth? Like questioning, sloth? What does that mean? Or whatever. And as soon as Landon heard the word sloth, he looks up and said, he's talking about Zootopia, Mimi. And so if you've never seen the movie Zootopia, you should go and actually click on YouTube and click a scene Zootopia sloth, and it's hilarious, but it's going to take you some time to get through it because they're really slow. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of cute. Which reminded me of the fact that, the, that our faith is a childlike faith. And we must approach God with this childlike trust, even with a little bit of being naive. We just say, you know what, I don't understand it completely, but I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to extend my hands and let him pick me up. And hold me. But we need to do it with some maturing faith that goes along with it. We can't just continue to behave like children. We need to mature in our beliefs and our faith and our behavior. But we need to approach God like a child. And I think we miss that sometimes. I think that's the reason why we're a little bit afraid to get too excited. Have you ever seen kids get excited about something? They're not ashamed. I remember Emma and Eliza when they were smaller, especially Emma, 
when she got something for her birthday or for Christmas, she was unashamed in her excitement. No matter what it was, she just let out the screech and she danced and she smiled and she hugged us and she was so thankful. When was the last time we approached God that way? When was the last time we approached him that way? Wednesday night, I took Emma with me to the prison. It's a little intimidating walking into an all-male prison with your beautiful, then 19, soon-to-be 20-year-old daughter. And all these guys, just like on the TV shows, you know, in the movies, they're pumping iron. And they like stop and they look and you're just like, hey, what's up, man? You just like, just keep walking. Don't make eye contact, just keep walking. And we got into the, the, to the auditorium. Actually, the auditorium is a, it's kind of like a miniature version of this. And we got into the auditorium, and she, uh, she rehearsed. They got ready. And I've never, and she just experienced a little bit more of it today, but I've never seen my daughter worship that way. Like, she was just passionate. Like, and one of the things that I think, the reason why I'm telling this story is because one of the things that I think happens is for all of us, when we walk into the church, we're a little bit afraid, what are people going to think? If I really fully worship that way, what are people going to think? And so Emma says, sometimes I hold back at church because I'm afraid, am I going to mess up? Are they going to like it? What are people going to think? And, and that's, that's a reality, that's real. I can't say that I don't stand up here and I think to myself, what are they going to think? Are they going to like it? Are they going to like the message? Are they going to like me? Are they going to come back? But truly, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things when it comes to eternity. Because ultimately, the one that we're, we're all trying to please is not the one next to us. It's the one who created us, right? Amen. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, that's just true. So how, we want to we give you freedom. We want to give you freedom to worship that way and to to Approach God with a childlike faith today. So don't be afraid and don't be, don't be ashamed of where you've been. Just be present today where you are. And then just trust God with where you're going to go, okay? Does that, does that make sense? Because we all have skeletons <laughs> in our closet and it's just reality, and me included. So we're going to talk about command number two today. And so we will see in Scripture several different times when the moment someone repents and believes, the first thing that they do is they get baptized. They don't wait around. They don't, they don't think about it. They don't, like, have a class about it. They don't get it on the schedule. They just do it. And we'll see that several different times. The spiritual lesson that I want you to gather today, I want you to learn, is the fact that baptism is an act of obedience, Matthew 28, where Jesus is leaving, he says, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to this command. That's what I'm asking you to do. And here we are today, we're going to do that at the end. Plus, baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in a sense, it's your death and burial of an old life, raising to walk in a new life. That's what baptism is. Romans chapter 6, that's what it says at the very beginning of that chapter. Death, burial, and resurrection. It's identifying ourselves with that very crucial piece 
of our belief in our theology is that Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again. And when we put our faith and trust in that, we will also die someday. But yet, in the, you saw the lyric in the song, but yet we will live even though we die. And that should cause us to cheer more than anything else, that reality. So I want to tell you, share a few stories with you from Scripture. So look at Acts chapter 8. The book of Acts chapter 8. A little, little bit of context so to kind of give you the background. The church, the, the first church is in its infant stages. They've seen some incredible things. Thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus, putting their faith in what they called back then the way. Are you a follower of the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So are you a follower of Jesus? Are you, a, are you they didn't call them Christians then, but it's like, you're, are you a follower of the way? And the church is growing, and it's then getting the attention of the government. It's stirring up all kinds of, of things. And then there's this guy named Saul who is, who is getting permission from the church, the church leader, the Jewish leaders to go and, and find people who are followers of the way and to arrest them and bring them back and try them. And some people were dying for their faith already in the, because of their faith in Jesus. And it says in, in 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So the, the disciples had been scattered out. They've been for their safety and trying to get away and making sure that they were, they were um, keeping themselves safe. But at the same time, they were still preaching this message that had so captured their heart that no matter where they were or what it was that they were doing, they were still preaching this message. And it said that uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. First of all, I heard a question earlier this week. Someone said, does that stuff still happen? Are there miracles like that going on in the world today? And I would say, yes, there are. Now, we have yet to hear any demons cry out here this morning and fly out of here. That, if that happens, that would change the whole dynamic <laughs> of this service. It would be pretty wild, wouldn't it? But, but, but people are being set free in ways that you can't even imagine. People will get in the waters of baptism today, young and old. And so maybe we don't see the miracles the way they describe it here but I think anytime anybody puts their faith in Jesus, that's a miracle. Because someone just went from being dead to alive. That's a miracle. Or the fact that someone is saying today, I, I, listen, I'll just be honest with you. The fact you got up this morning and you made this a part of your, your itinerary today, I count that as a miracle. Because you could have chosen to do many different things. And I'm honored that you chose to come here. And you didn't come here for me. Because if that's all you came for, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> but hopefully you came because God has placed it on your heart to be here for a particular reason. So there's miracles, but we, you know, we haven't seen 
this miracle, but I've seen as a result of, of people being healed or people being touched, like their whole families getting touched. It's pretty amazing. So let's go on, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, Simon was amazed. I read this story, and it made me think about um, something that happened to us when we were in Peru. And, and I don't remember if it was the first time that we went in 2005 or if it was the second time we went in 2006. But part of our ministry there was to go into the city, and we would set up uh, speakers Remember this, Zach? Yeah, man. We'd set up just these speakers that we had, we had brought in. We'd play some American hip-hop music, draw some attention. We'd get a crowd. Then we would do a little dance just to entertain the people. And then we'd say, hey, we got something for you. And if you'd stay around to the end of this drama, uh, we have a gift for you. And then we would share this powerful, dramatic presentation of the, of the creation of man and the fall of man and God's redemption through the power of the cross. And it was... It was, it was powerful. I mean, I wept every time I saw it, and I'd seen it hundreds of times. Well, one day we were going into the main part of the city called the Plaza de Armas, and where all these people were gathered, and they were all walking around enjoying the evening. And we, we walked in, and we first got there, there was a pretty big crowd over with this, this man who was a comedian. So it made me think about Simon amazing the crowd. Here was this comedian, and he had a crowd. And that meant he had some money because they were going to give him money for his performance. And so he was laughing. All the people were engaged. And I stick out in a crowd in Peru because I'm six foot three and a bald head and this goatee, which I look different than most people there. And I'm walking through the crowd and that guy stops what he was doing and starts directing his conversation towards me, about me. And all the people are laughing about me. There's something funny, obviously, about this. I, you, can, you can laugh too if you want. But, but they're laughing. And I guess the interpretation was is that he was saying something very crude and personal about my facial hair. And so we just like, whatever, and we just went on. We set up our stuff and did our little thing. And listen, before it was all over, not one person was standing down there where he was. They all left him, and they came over, and he was angry. You could hear him yelling at us, <laughs> yelling and saying, because you just stole my money, you just stole my crowd, you know? And I was just thinking to myself, brother, I'm sorry, but whatever you were saying has nothing compared to what they're about ready to hear, the power of the gospel to save. You can't laugh your way into heaven, I'm sorry. But these people then at the end of this, many people got down on their knees and confessed Christ as their Savior. And I just thought about God's Word is powerful. So let's go down to verse 26. Okay, so Philip 
has been doing this ministry. He's preaching the gospel. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Okay? So get the picture. This guy came to worship. He's going back now, and he's got a, he's got a scroll, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Not everybody just had a copy of, of, their, of a Bible. We have a copy of our Bible wherever we go now. If you have a smartphone, you can always be with it. And so, just get the picture. He's reading scripture. Philip gets told by the Holy Spirit to go. And, you know, and just, have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, I don't know why I feel like I'm supposed to go here, but this is where I got to go. And then while you're there, you say, ah, this is why I came here today. Now I get it. And so, if you haven't had many moments like that in your life, I pray that that will increase more and more in your life. And you begin to see the reality of, of God in your everyday moments, that will be a miracle for you. When you start to see God like put you here for a particular purpose, and Pastor Brady and I were talking the other day, and he said, he was talking about if 50% of Christians in the world would start living intentionally like that, it would radically change our culture. If you just look for an opportunity to be present and to hear and to bring God into the conversation, this was an easy task for Philip because he's like, oh, the dude's reading scripture. All right, I got an in. This is going to be easy to bring up this conversation. And, uh, and real quick, just the fact that it says, it mentions here, this is a desert place, okay? When you think of desert, do you think of water? Not typically. So listen to what happens. So he goes over. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading just happened to be about Jesus. It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For this life is taken away, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this was about? Or is it someone else? Is it, who's it talking about? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. <laughs> what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Man, I love that story. And as you go on in uh, the book of Acts, there's more stories similar to this. So turn over to uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So now, this Saul 
who was searching down and capturing and, and uh, taking people who were following the way. At this point, Saul has been introduced to Jesus in a pretty dramatic way. And you'll see that in Acts 9. Saul now becomes Paul. His name gets changed. His, his uh, purpose got changed. <laughs> his eternity got changed. And now Paul is a passionate proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. Like, that's what happens when you allow Jesus to have his way in your life. You just start living differently. It's like you have no choice. Like, there's a compulsion within you that causes you just to look at life differently and look at people around you differently. And so Paul is now on this mission to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, wherever he goes, however he can do it, whoever will listen. And so look at Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to this town called Samothrace. And the following day, we went on to Neapolis. And from there, we went to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a, in a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together or the women who had come together. So they were looking for a place, some quiet time to get alone to pray and they find these women there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. And immediately I thought to myself, should I share a joke about Prince in purple? And I thought, no, I'll just pass over from that. Some of you didn't even get that anyway, so it would have been a wasted, wasted joke. She was a worshiper, a worshiper of God. Okay, listen, real quick. You can be, now hear me on this. You can say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe there is a God. I can even come to church and worship God. And still not have repented and believed in the name of Jesus. And you're like, oh, how is that possible? Do an inventory in your own heart. And ask, am I a follower of Jesus? Or do I just have the knowledge of God? Like, I just, I know God, I believe in God. A lot of people, Brady will tell you, a lot of people on the street, oh yeah, I believe in God. But do you belong to the Lord Jesus? Well, you know, I don't go to church as much as I should. And they start giving you this diatribe, you know, this, all this work. You know, like, no, 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 no. I'm just asking you a question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you repented and believed? Have you been baptized? And, put your, and you've put your faith in Jesus and you're following him in obedience. It's a whole other story. Lydia says she's a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so Paul said, and she prevailed upon it. So we had no choice, so we stayed. So then you go on just a little bit further to verse 25 where Paul and Silas got put in prison because they were sharing the gospel and people were being set free and they were putting their hope in Jesus and not in the government and they were saying yes to Jesus and things were starting to change. It was stirring up the city and Paul and Silas ended up getting put in jail. This is the last story I'll share with you out of, the, out of the scripture today. 
Verse 25, chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I couldn't help but thinking on Wednesday night as we're in this auditorium and where people are praising and they're singing and they're singing out loud. You wonder, are there some guys on the outside of those walls listening and wondering, what is, what is going on in there? There's probably a little bit of thought of like, these people are crazy. You might have some friends that think you're crazy for getting up and coming to church this morning. <laughs> like, are you really getting anything? Is that really making any difference in your life? So it says that, uh, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, figuring death would be his final uh, destination anyway because he had just blew his job. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with this, his entire household that he had believed in God. I love the impact that someone who's put their faith in Jesus, how that has impacted their family. Especially a man. When a man puts his faith in Jesus all over the world, 90% of the time, the rest of the family will follow because the man has been called to be the leader of his home. And when a man says, this is our house and this is what we're going to do in our house, typically the rest of the family will follow. Now, as cool in Lydia's case, you know, she changed the game there because her whole household was where they were saved too and they were baptized. But all over the world, including Peru, they, they would tell you there, they'd say, if a man puts his faith in Jesus, the rest of the family will follow. And so we had a perfect example of that in the story about the jailer. He was baptized in his whole household. It was pretty amazing. So this morning, the, the simple command is, is to be baptized. And so if you are here this morning and you are going to be baptized, all right? Um, my wife, and where's Tony? Tony, all right? They're going to meet, actually, let's do this. Tony and Beth, would you just help me? Would you guys come here? So if you're going to be baptized, meet Tony and Beth right over here. And would you, oh, get, okay, good. Because we want to make sure the, the kids get to come in and, and to, to witness this. So if you're going to be baptized this morning, I want you to go ahead and meet Tony and Beth right over here because there's a little area back here where you can change one at a time. You can, and then when they're ready, they're going to come down and we'll, we'll do the baptisms. Okay? So meet Tony and Beth right over here. And they're going to go. We'll go get... And so uh, we'll, let's go ahead and we're going to worship together while they're getting changed. And then when they come, I think... It would be 
awesome if we could all just get like closer. We've got plenty of places to sit all over. We'll have the little kids come right here because we're going we're gonna to celebrate this together as a family. And so if you want to get a little closer so you can see, I'm not going to make you move, but if you want to move, come on up. There's a whole front row right here. The service isn't over, so don't get up and leave, all right? Let's just get, we're just getting started. <laughs> so go ahead and come on up. Yeah, let's worship together, and when we're ready to go, we'll, we'll do this.